teaching is brought to you by Calvary Bible Church in Burbank, California. We trust that this recording will be a benefit to you and will be a challenge to your Christian faith and walk. For more information about Calvary Bible Church, see our website at calvarybiblechurch.org or call us at 818-556-4840. Well, we're so thankful that you have given us your son. Without him... uh, Lord, we'd have no hope. We'd have no purpose or no one to look to for for joy in times of struggle, no one to look to for help in times of need. Lord, we would be sinners condemned to hell. But you showed great love to us, kindness, and we thank you so much. We pray, Lord, now as we look to your word that you would bless us richly, that you would show us the truth, that you would help us understand and and Lord, give us the strength to apply it to our lives. Lord, I know Your Word's powerful. I know Your Word's able to cut where cuts are needed. And Father, I pray that You would, uh, by Your Spirit, work within the hearts of those of us this morning here. And we just want, Lord, to do what You've called us to. We want to respond with gratitude for the sacrifice that Your Son has made for us. Lord Jesus, may You be honored by our time together. In Your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, like you to turn... To Ephesians 1. Again, our journey in Ephesians is ending this morning. And so what I thought I'd do, I'd like us to pretend for a moment. You know, from time to time I like to do this. And I want us to imagine ourselves as uh, gathering together. We are residents in the city of Ephesus. It's around 60 A.D. And we, are, we have come together. There are some 250,000 people in this city of ours, in the city of Ephesus. Uh, It's a city that's dedicated to commerce, dedicated to the goddess Artemis. In fact, uh, her temple's just down the street, one of the seven wonders of the world. And that dedication to Artemis is so strong that uh, there are many who feel very strongly about uh, worship of her. In fact, if you remember, uh, what was it, about five years ago when our beloved Apostle Paul was run out of town during a riot because he was converting people to our Lord Jesus Christ. And there were many in the idol industry who were not... So happy about that. You guys remember that riot? It's kind of a big deal. Remember the people were out screaming great Artemis the Great for what, two hours or something like that. And that was a sad day when Paul was run out of town. He'd been with us about three years. Remember how he instructed us. He came to each of our houses. The Apostle Paul visited each of our homes. And he instructed us in the Word of God. And he helped us with our trials and at times rebuked us because of our sin, and, and Paul was so committed to us. I remember at times him weeping over, over the sorrows that we've experienced. He was a dedicated shepherd, a loving shepherd. And the last time I saw Paul was in Miletus uh, with the other elders, and I still remember him pouring out his heart to us, saying, guard the flock, protect the flock from false teachers, for they're coming. In fact, some will arise up amidst you, so shepherd them, guard them, watch over them. And he was weeping as he was speaking, pleading with us. And then he dropped the bomb when he said, you're not going to see my face anymore. We were dumbfounded. And I remember, too, when uh, I came and we brought that message back to you and your hearts were broken that, that Paul would no longer be among us. And that was well, maybe four years ago. And now, as you know, Paul is under house arrest in Rome, awaiting trial. 
At Miletus, we tried to dissuade him. We said, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem because he told us that he knew bonds and afflictions awaited him. And so he said, no, I have to go. I will not stop preaching the gospel, even if it means giving up my life. And we said, Paul, don't. Don't go. The Lord can use you. But he was on a mission. And I know many of you have asked me many times, why, why did he go to Jerusalem knowing what would happen to him? Why? Why? You know, I wish, I wish he had listened to us. But let's remember, let's keep praying for him uh, in these last days that, that God... Wait, Tychicus, is that you? It's Tychicus Baldy. Brother, it's good to see you. Praise the Lord, man. How are you? Good, you? You have something for... Oh, is this from Paul? Yeah, it's in Greek, though. It's in Greek. I got it. I got it. It's a letter. It's a letter from our beloved Apostle Paul. He's written to us to let us know how he's doing. I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it in English. (laughs) This is what he says. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus... And who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That we would be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. According to the kind intention of his will. To the praise of of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, He made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His kind intention, which He purposed in Him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, have been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who's given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. For this reason I too... Having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your heart being enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And you... Being dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, 
indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who are far away, and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father." So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of His power. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given, to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ, and to bring alight what is the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Therefore I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are your glory. For this reason I I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. 
Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean? Except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is himself also. He who ascended far above all things so that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we're no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him just as truth is in Jesus. In reference to your former manner of life, to lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and to put on, to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and to put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness. And holiness of the truth. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather let him labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with him who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. Do do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. But be kind to one another, tenderhearted, gracing one another, just as God in Christ has also graced you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. An offering and a sacrifice to God is a fragrant aroma. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. 
For this you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, to your own husbands, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as Christ is sub- as his church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each individual among you love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers... Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, be obedient to those who are masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And masters, do the same things to them. And give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. 
In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God with all prayer and petition, praying at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, being on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak now so that you may also know about my circumstances, how I'm doing Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord will make everything known to you. I've sent him to you for this very purpose so that you may know about us and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God, the father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with incorruptible love. It's a powerful letter which the Holy Spirit moved Paul to write. And I'm sorry if the introduction seemed a little cheesy. I'm not trying to come up with some gimmick here. I really, I, I wanted you to, to get a taste of what it would have been like. Because again, we have to remember, Paul is a real person. Apostle Paul was a, a real a follower of Jesus Christ. The people at Ephesus were real people. There was a real church in the city of Ephesus. And there were believers there who Paul had brought to Christ and taught and instructed. And as they were struggling with their understanding of Paul's condition, he wrote a letter to them. And when that letter had come to the church, it was read just in the same way as we read it here this morning, that, uh, that it was read in its entirety as a correspondence, a communication from the Apostle Paul. You know, we've dissected it up into about 50 messages to narrow the focus so that we could better understand each of those verses, and that was something we needed to do. But again, I, I think it's important at times to sit back and to read the thing as a whole. And how would it have been taken in by those who originally heard it? And maybe as I read it to you this morning, there were things that you saw and picked up, that things he said all over the letter, two that popped in my mind. He talked about we are members of his body. You know, it never hit me before. I noticed that just in reading it here, how he at different places reminds us of that. And in approaching these last uh, four verses of this epistle, I was just again reminded that this is a letter from a man who loved and cared for this group of people. He didn't sit down with the intention to write, uh, you know, a doctrinal treatise that's going to be used only in seminaries throughout the world. For all. He wrote this as a letter for people he loved and he cared about and who cared about him. And he cared about them so much that he was willing to send his beloved friend Tychicus with the letter. Tychicus was, a, as he mentions, a beloved brother, a faithful uh, servant uh, with Paul. And Paul was willing to part with him so that Tychicus could come to these people in Ephesus and let them know how Paul was doing. And by the way, Tychicus had two other letters with him when he came to Ephesus. He not only had the letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians, he also had the letter he had written to the Colossians and the Philemon. In fact, uh, Onesimus was probably with him uh, even as he came into the church at Ephesus. Tychicus was a man who was from Asia, Acts 20, verse 4 says, probably either from Ephesus or more likely Colossae. And so this was one of their own coming back uh, to them with words from Paul. And then this letter that Paul had written to them, he, he wasn't just trying to console them. He wasn't just trying to allay their fears about his condition. He wanted to direct their attention on why he was in prison. Because again, remember, they were concerned for his very life and knowing that he was not going to see them again, as he had said, and now he's rotting in a prison in Rome. They're thinking this is it for Paul. 
He's done. He told us he was willing to die for Christ, and now it's going to happen. And they were greatly distressed about that. But Paul wrote them to say, this is not something to mourn about, but actually to rejoice in. If you look again at Ephesians 3.13, he said, Therefore I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are your glory. And he said this right after he was describing that he was in prison because of the fact he was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. That he was bringing the message of the Messiah to the Gentiles and telling them that both Jew and Gentile were now one, in one body. If Jew and Gentile Christians were now one body in Christ Jesus. Acts 21 tells us that uh, after Paul left Miletus, he went back to Jerusalem during Pentecost. And he arrived there. Tychicus was probably with him, as were some other Gentiles. And some Jews had followed him. Jews from Ephesus, Jews from Asia had come. And they, when, he, when Paul entered into the temple, had him arrested. They falsely accused him of doing some things, and so he was thrown in prison. And they did this because they wanted him to stop preaching the gospel. They wanted him to stop declaring that Jesus was the Messiah. And they especially wanted him not to be sending a message to the Gentiles that they could be right with God. And Paul says, glory in my situation. Don't lament over it, because you know what? As you think of me sitting here in prison... It should be a reminder to you of the blessed gospel that God used me to bring to you. And I'm only here because that's what my life is all about. And so in a real sense, you should have joy that I'm in prison because it's a reminder to you that that God used me to bring you the message of truth. And that's what landed me here in the pokey. But don't worry about me. Don't worry about me. And then he writes in here, you catch that in the letter in chapter 2. He says, you know, remember where you used to be at. You not only were dead in sin, as all of us are, but you were even, if it could be possible, further than that. You were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. You had no hope. You were without God. You had no promise of a Messiah specifically for you. And even you Gentiles who did desire to worship God, when you would show up in Jerusalem, guess what? You get to the temple with your sacrifice, you couldn't even go into sacrifice because of that wall around The courtyard, you could stay in the courtyard of the Gentiles, but you couldn't go any further. You were excluded, left out. No wonder Paul begins his letter with, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And then he goes on to talk about that blessing. He goes on to talk about the salvation that we can have through Christ's death on the cross for our sins and any who would repent and believe God has given them redemption and forgiveness. Amen? And that's where Paul begins this letter. And as he continues on, he lays out that it's more than just you being saved from hell. It's more than just you being brought into heaven. That God, through this process and through Christ's death on the cross, has brought about the church. Ephesians is a letter all about the church. You know, really our salvation as individuals, if you read through this letter, our individual salvation doesn't really get a lot of attention here. Notice the plural pronoun when he talks about our salvation in chapter 1. He chose us in him. He predestined us to adoption. In him we have redemption. We have obtained an inheritance. He doesn't use the second person singular you. Then in chapter 2, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, but God made us alive together with Christ. He raised us up with him and seated us with him. In order to show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. You see, 
The salvation that we've not just been saved for a personal relationship with Jesus, but also a community relationship with Jesus. That exudes all through this letter that we now have a relationship, a fellowship in Jesus Christ with the Trinity and with all of our fellow believers. And so God speaks of, as he speaks of, of, uh, as Paul speaks of God's saving grace, he can't but help lift up the church, the assembly of all believers, which Christ purchased with his blood. You see, Christ, when he died, he, he didn't just redeem you. He redeemed you. That's Paul's point. Yes, we individually are responsible for our sin. We must individually go to him in repentance and faith and cry out for mercy and forgiveness. But then it's not just me and Jesus all the way home. It's we and Jesus all the way home. That's the message of Ephesians. That redemption that for any who agree that they have sinned against him. And I know there may be some here this morning that you're in that place. You've not made a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. You're not part of the we and God, the fellowship. You, you are still in your sins. You're still maybe wavering or maybe you just don't care. I don't know. But Christ has a message for you. You can be forgiven. Any who would turn from their sin, desire to turn from it and follow him for the rest of their lives. Christ has made a payment for you that you would no longer have to suffer an eternal punishment in hell, which we all deserve. We all deserve, right? Amen. But Jesus made a way to be forgiven. And any who would earnestly desire to turn from that, cry out to him, Lord, I don't want to live this life anymore. I don't want to pursue things for myself, but I can't do it on my own. You have to save me. That's a person Jesus is listening to. You heard the testimonies from our brother and sister earlier. God sought them out, granted them understanding. And because of his enabling power, turned from their sin and placed their trust in him. And that message is freely offered to any who would repent and believe. Any. And once that happens, once that commitment is made to follow Christ, He then places you in what is called the church. The church isn't a social club. It's not a political cause. It's not even a religious institution. It's far beyond all these things because believers are placed into something special. And Paul unfolds the special nature of the church through several analogies in this letter. In fact, I think every analogy regarding the church is given in Ephesians. And he uses them all to help us get a better understanding of what's really happened to us, who we are in Christ. The first analogy that he gives, he mentions the the first time he uses the word church. Back in 122, he says uh, that Christ is given his head over all things to the church, which is his body. Of the ten times that body is used in Ephesians, nine of them refer to the church. In 2.16, he said, Jew and Gentile both are reconciled in one body to God. In 5.23, Jesus is the Savior of the body. In 5.30, we are members of his body. What is a body? What is he telling us by that? We're a living organism. We are a living organism. We're, We're made up of various living but connected and vitally connected parts. And just as a human body cannot mature, let alone survive, if any of those parts are not attached to the body, so too the body of Christ will not grow if any part is detached, if any part is not working or functioning. Paul said in Ephesians 4.11 that Christ gave the apostles and prophets from whom we received the word of God, the scriptures. He gave evangelists and pastors or shepherds and teachers to do what? To equip the saints 
to equip the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. The illustration I can think of is, you know, the brain, right? It gives directions to various parts of the body, right? It's really the control center and sends those electronic signals and impulses to the various parts of the body to function. It tells the lungs to breathe. It tells the stomach to digest the food or the heart to pump blood. But it can do none of those processes itself. It's not like, it's not like well, the heart says, no, I'm not going to do that. Well, the brain says, well, I'll just do it for you then. We'd all be in big trouble if the brain was responsible to pump our blood too. Well, sometimes some of us have too much blood in the brain, but there's this idea of, of, of the, the, that the pastors, elders, teachers, those who've been given to instruct, they're given to instruct and equip us so that we would do the functioning. The leaderships and leaders aren't intended to do all the functioning. The body, it doesn't, doesn't design that way. We all are to function as God has called us to. And that's exactly where Paul takes it in Ephesians 4.16 when he says the whole body being fitted and held together by the supplying arteries according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body. Catch that phrase, according to the proper working of each individual part. The body only grows if every part, every one of you, every one of us is active. It will not grow in the way Christ intended if it is not. Again, he's saying that growth only happens as each part is working properly, as each part is living out to one another, as each of you are employing your spiritual gift, as each of you are serving one another, as each of you are doing what God has designed you specially to do. Again, the church is described as a body here. And it's described that way not just to illustrate that we are one, but I think it's also meant to teach us that we are all to be functioning as well in order to grow. My question to you, brothers and sisters, are you functioning? Are you working properly? Are you serving others? Are you exercising your gifts? Are you in people's lives, living out to one another's? Are you seeking to help other believers be more like Jesus? Because that, in the end, is how we're to function. To help one another be more like His Son. And that's what the church, that's what you are designed to do. Paul then says, in addition to being a body, he describes in uh, Ephesians 2.21 that we are a building, being fitted together and growing into a holy temple in the Lord. He says we are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. And this is a very interesting picture. Here Paul's describing, in a sense, we are all like individual stones that have been precisely cut and uniquely designed, and we fit together perfectly so there is no seam. As you would look at the building, you would see no texture. It would be like one solid wall. That's how he's designed us. That's how he's put us together. And notice, too, that we are referred here to as God's house. God's house. The church is his temple. And what happens at temples? Worship, right? Worship. All believers from all time were were fitted together in this one entity. Paul refers to as a building. One entity whose purpose is to worship and glorify God together. Together. It's a spiritual house. We are a spiritual house where God dwells, both as owner and occupant. That's amazing to think about. Incredible. And like the body analogy... Here we have another picture of the unity of the church as one. We are one building, just as we are one body. And we will glorify this building's occupant when we dwell as one together. I mean, imagine a structure there. The stones were trying to dislodge themselves and come out of the structure. A lot of churches look like that. A lot of churches can look like that. We 
can look like that, brothers and sisters. If we do not preserve the unity of the faith that God has designed us to do. And again, it begs the question, are, are we one, really? Are we really unified? Are we really connected in each other's lives? Is God honored? Think carefully about this. Is He honored by how we are treating one another? Oh, I would pray and have prayed much as we've been going through Ephesians. Ephesians 4.3, it says, Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. That has been my prayer for this church, for me. Because we've been designed as one, one building, one body, to be unified. Paul also describes the church not just as one body or one building, but also one bride. This is a beautiful illustration. In chapter 5, he develops this in his instruction on marriage. And he showed us that marriage really is a, a picture of the relationship between Christ and his church. That it is meant to, to demonstrate Christ's commitment to show that his love and commitment and sacrifice for the church and the church's love and submission and respect and honor for the Lord Jesus Christ. He quoted Genesis 2.24 where it says, you know, if man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, two shall become one flesh. And then he said, this mystery is great. I'm referring to Christ in the church. It's a very interesting statement. He's saying there's a, a unique and special bond that Jesus has with us as a, a husband and his, and his precious bride. We're united to him in a special way. And it says Jesus gave himself up for his bride, gave himself up for you. To free you from sin and its consequences. To make you holy and blameless. To have a pure white dress on when you're presented before Him. Jesus gives us, as Paul mentions here, tender care and affection. Nourishes and cherishes His bride. And one day, we'll stand before Him. Holy. Perfect. Because of Christ's work in us. And I want you to think about that day. I want you to think about that day. You're going to see Jesus. You are going to see Jesus. And you won't stand there in shame because of His sacrifice for you if you know Him. Being described as a bride, seeing how Christ treats His bride. Beloved, we are special to Him. We are special to Him. And not just because or not because we're such a great catch. We're like the ugly stepsister no one wanted to dance with. But Jesus did. Jesus did. He even gave his life for us. And God's love for us is seen not only in that description of us as a bride, but also in his fourth description as a brotherhood. We're the brotherhood of the adopted. For in Christ, we're God's family. He brings up this truth right away in chapter 1, verse 5, when he says that the Father predestined us to adoption as sons. You see, Christ, again, he didn't die merely to grant us entrance into heaven, which is a wonderful thing. But that's not the main purpose for his sacrifice. Paul made this clear in 2.19, when after he said, uh, we are so far away from God, we as Gentiles especially, were separate and had no hope, we were without God. And then he said, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, meaning you're no longer uh, uh, those that are outside of a country that just having a visa. You're now welcome into God's kingdom. And more than that, you are of God's household. What does that mean? What's a household? It's a home, right? 
You're in God's home. You're part of his family. You're no longer outside as his enemies. Again, we're not only citizens of God's kingdom. We are children in his home. We're adopted. You're adopted as his children. How cool is that? Think about where you were. All of us were God's enemy. None of us wanted to have anything to do with him. Some of us in outright rebellion. Others just giving God the hand. You know, whatever, God. You don't bother me, I won't bother you. But all of us were his enemies, the Bible says. And not only did God send his son so that we would not be condemned if we would repent and turn and place our trust in him and his sacrifice on the cross. That not only purchased our freedom from a Christless eternity in hell, but to go from where we were as his enemy to his son and his daughter forever. It staggers the imagination if you really think about it. And we are not just now on friendly terms. We're not just acquaintances. We're not just somebody being tolerated or, or someone that, yeah, that used to be my enemy. And I'm going to just keep, keep reminding you of that. He says, you're my son. You're my daughter. We're his beloved children. And we're loved with an inseparable, eternal love. And God signed those adoption papers with the red ink of the blood of his son. And that ink will never fade. It's permanent. We need to remember who we are in Christ. We need to remind ourselves of these things, that we are his body. We're a building dedicated to worship and glorifying God. We are also, as Paul mentioned here, his bride, and we're God's children. And you see now why, why Paul's saying, look, don't worry about my situation. Just... Think about, meditate, remember what God has done in, as he's brought the gospel message through me to you. And now who you are, you're so far different from how you used to be. Rejoice in that. And we need to remind ourselves often of what we are part of now. We're part of one living organism. We are all gathered here together this morning as one body, as one bride, as one building, as one brotherhood. God will use us at the more better, the better we understand that. And the more we live that out, that is how God will then cause growth within us to mature as a body of believers individually and as a whole. God is only glorified when we function as one unified people. And that's the theme that we see at the end of his letter as he closes out his words of encouragement and instruction. Now, a lot of times that you get to the end of a letter you know, it's kind of, they're often seen like movie credits, right? They're just, well, there's stuff that you have to, you know, they have to put it on there. It's important, but, you know, most people just generally ignore them. You know, you look at the end of these letters, a lot of times people will assume they're, they're just a polite courtesy given by the author to feels obliged to share some personal comments or to extend well wishes. But that's not the case. And especially not here in Ephesians. For in his last remarks... Paul reiterates what makes up a healthy church and a unified church, a growing church. Notice in 621, he said this, But that you also may know about my circumstances, how I am doing. Tychicus, Boldy, the beloved brother, faithful minister in the Lord. He's going to grab that nickname from now on, right? I've sent him to you. We'll make everything known to you. I've sent him to you for this very purpose so that you may know about us and that he may comfort your hearts. We see here one characteristic of a growing church is connection. 
It's connection. When Paul knew of their concern, he prayed for them, but he didn't just pray. He also sent Tychicus to go let them know how he was doing, to go and encourage them with his situation, to go and bring comfort. If you remember, too, that Paul was being used by God greatly as he was imprisoned. So he wanted them to know that he was okay. So I'm sure, you know, much of the letter that we see in Colossians and Philippians, a lot of the information there, Tychicus shared how Paul was not only being used by God, he had an opportunity to go before the emperor potentially. And how God had used him to proclaim the gospel to many leaders in the Roman Empire. And, you know, every soldier that walked along with Paul heard about Jesus. Some of them turned in repentance. Amazing. So Paul, he was encouraged, wanted Tychicus to encourage them. And it was important to him. And even though, again, Tychicus was a, a great friend and a beloved brother to Paul, it was more important to him that the people in Ephesus would be encouraged and stay connected to Paul and to know how he was doing. And so he, he took pains to make sure that they were staying in one another's lives, that they were communicating. Paul was always doing this. You remember his approach. He'd, he'd come into a town, usually go to the synagogue, proclaim the gospel, and then he'd take off, right? Well, no, no. First he'd plant a church. Then he would take off, right? No, he would try to stay as long as he could. Now, often he'd get run out of town, but he'd stay as long as he could. Ephesus, he was there almost three years. In Corinth, he was there a year and a half. And then not only that, we often see in his subsequent missionary journeys, he'd go back to these churches, wouldn't he? He wouldn't just go to blaze new trails. He'd also go and visit and seek to encourage and be encouraged by the saints that he had helped to bring the gospel to. Paul was a connected man. He made sure to stay involved in the lives of fellow believers. He shows us a healthy church is a connected church, one that has and expresses concerns for each other and interest and involvement in one another's lives. And again, I ask the question, how connected do you think we are as a church to one another? Notice, too, our connection needs to be transparent. Paul often shared his concerns and his weaknesses in the letter. Remember, we talked about this last week when Paul shared his... He said, please pray for me. We read this in verses 19 and 20. Please pray for me to be bold. Pray that God would give me boldness. He's confessing there. I, I can struggle with fearing man, even Paul. And I so appreciate his transparency. Even though he's an apostle, he's like, you know, one of the dudes. One of the chief dudes in the church. And he says, I, I need you to pray for me. Because I struggle with this. To be connected means more than just casual interaction. It's more than just hanging out with each other once in a while, an occasional meal or a conversation or an email. It's more than just coming to a small group or a Bible study. It's to be transparent. It's to be accountable. It's to truly be sharing one another's lives. It's to open up with your needs and struggles. It's to be real with one another. I know this is not the first time that we've talked about this, but only to the extent that we pursue transparency and genuineness and openness in one another's lives, that's when God will work. He won't use people putting up walls and facades. Pray for me. Well, pray about what? Well, just pray like things aren't going so good. Can you pray for me? Okay. Open up. It's okay, because you know what? You're struggling too, and you're going to need to turn around and tell them how to be praying for you, how to be coming alongside you. That's how the churches work. That's a properly working part. 
those that that statement about the supplying arteries, there's this idea of there's there's cro- the blood flow between the different parts of the body that's necessary for it to grow. It's all intertwined and connected. We are not distinctly separate units. We're one. We're one. And it's also to share the good things. The encouragements, just like Paul said here, I've sent you Tychicus to comfort your hearts. So it's not just dumping our problems, but also too what God is doing in your life. You know, I was so blessed yesterday. Several people showed up to help with things around our house. And just to see these guys, we're standing up on the roof yesterday, roofing in 105 degree weather, black roof. I still, I literally have blisters on my feet. Poor Mike uh, Snyder was up there. He was like totally red. He was ready to pass out. You know, we had to quit early. What a blessing these guys were. What a blessing. Where are we at as a church? Would you say we are connected? Would you say that connection, if it's there, is transparent? Healthy church is not only connected church, it's also a church that has peace. Notice verse 23, Paul says, peace to the brethren. And again, he's not just saying, hope you're doing well, peace out, right? From what we know from the letter to the Ephesians, peace is a key word in there, remember? I think we even brought it up again last week or the week before. This idea of peace is more than just hope you're well. It's this, uh, of, of the many times that Paul uses it, he's talking about our harmonious relationships. First with God, that we have peace with God because of the death of Christ, but also peace with one another. In chapter 2, he talked all about that. Chapter 4, verse 3, he said, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Again, the cross not only brings peace with God, but peace with one another. Listen, it's a peace that it's more than the absence of conflict, right? It's a proactive pursuit of unity and accord. It's a peace that's just, it's more than just avoiding disputes, but it's a, it's a growing closer with one another. As Paul said in Ephesians 4.31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you and all malice, but be kind to one another, tenderhearted, empathetic, gracing one another as God has graced you. That's what peace looks like. And again, brothers and sisters, how are we doing? How are we doing? Is there peace here? Is there peace in your home? We of all people on this earth should be at peace. We of all people should be kind. We of all people should empathize. We of all people should sow grace to one another and forgiveness. Amen? We of all people should live in harmony. And we of all people should love. Paul brings us there with his next phrase in verse 23. Love with faith. Love with faith. And here it's a more than a love of duty, a love of action. Notice here, I don't know if you caught it in those last couple of verses. How are believers described? How did he describe Tychicus? Verse 21, as a beloved brother, right? What did he say in verse 23, I think it is? Peace be to the brothers. Even in how he terms and addresses Others, we see this idea that Paul's not just speaking Christianese here. He's not saying, hey, bro, peace, sister. Those aren't just flippant terms he's throwing around. What he's showing us here is that they represent represent a change in our identity. We're different now. Our relationship to one another is different now. You know, sometimes my wife and I will talk about, you know, if we hadn't 
weren't believers when we got to know each other. You know, would we even have spent time with one another? Would we, would we even have liked each other? God has given a special bond. In Christ, we are his family. We are family. In Christ, we are bonded together. In Christ, we have the same father. In Christ, we are brother and sister. And we have a closer unity, a closer bond than any family on this earth. It's a spiritual connection. It's much tighter than blood. Romans 12.10 says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. That's familial affection. That affection you feel for your son or your daughter. That affection you may feel for your parents or a sibling. That's the kind of thing we are to have toward one another. Do you see each other around you as family? Are we characterized by love for one another? Are we a, a welcoming people to those who visit? Do you reach out to those who are new here? Do you reach out to the hurting? If you see someone that looks downcast or is off by themselves, do you ignore them and walk on? Or take opportunity to reach out? How are you doing? Is everything okay? Do we show care and compassion to those who need help or who are suffering? That's why I'm so grateful and excited about being able to serve with the Children's Hunger Fund. To show compassion. And especially so with one another. Brothers and sisters, I would ask, are we too busy to love? Verse 23 reminds us we've received love from our Father and His Son. And Ephesians 5.2 says, Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. We are loved as God's children, and so should we not have love for His children. Again, God hasn't saved us to sit back and bask in our salvation and just how wonderful all that is and what we have promised in front of us. He saved us to give us a responsibility also to care for one another. May God make us a loving people. May God make us a loving people. Verse 24, Paul then says, ends this magnificent letter where he began, really, with the grace of God. He says, May grace, God's grace continue to work in the lives of those having an unending love for Christ. You see, he's saying there again, God can make us a healthy, growing, mature body of believers at peace, with love, connected, all of these things. God can do that. In Christ, we can be as God desires us to be. Again, may God show us His grace. And may we be conduits of that grace to one another, especially to those in a lost world. We are emissaries of the gospel, just as Paul was. Paul was willing to give up everything just so that people could know about Christ. We have an opportunity to show a lost world through our own testimony what a church is to look like. We have an opportunity to reach out Let's, let's be that Calvary Bible Church, amen? Let's be the church Paul describes here in this letter. Let's pray to that end. Lord, thank you for this amazing book and your word. They're all amazing, God, each in different ways, how they speak to us and teach and instruct us and, and Lord, uh, admonish us, encourage us. Help us, Lord, thank you so much for your servant, Paul. We know it wasn't because he was a great man, but because you were a great God and you used him. Thank you for the words that you had him write to the Ephesians and that you've passed them on to us. And 
Lord, I would pray that you would make our body of believers truly that, a body, a functioning, growing body, that you would make us one building. We are that. Lord, may we live it out. May we be as you've designed us to be. Thank you that we are your bride and that you put us into your family. May your grace, Lord, be abundant upon us so that we may show that grace to others, particularly one another. In Jesus' name, amen.